Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And today we have another very special guest with us. We have author Michelle Hoff. We are very honored that you have joined us here today on the podcast. How has your 2022 been so far? Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me. 2022 has been going swell so far. Excellent. Excellent. Well, are you, you want to get into some icebreakers with us? Sure, go ahead. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Okay, this is the funny one, but I think it's a good one to start with to warn you guys. <laughs> My warning label would say she is an introvert. If you see her at a party or a book signing and approach her, she will not make eye contact with you. Don't worry, she's not being a snob. You have to go up to her and speak to her first because she doesn't know how to make conversation. <laughs> and then once you start talking to her, she just won't shut up. So. <laughs> That's perfect. perfect. So it works. <laughs> what is one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? You know, I rarely read a book a second time, but probably Practical Magic is my all-time favorite book and movie. So that would Ooh, be the one. Yeah. Okay, that totally fits my idea of you as Michelle Hoff. So (laughs) (laughs) I try. What was one of your teenage obsessions? Okay, this might embarrass me or I don't know. Uh, Adamant. That's all I can say. I recently got to see him about two years ago in concert. Finally. There's nothing weird about that. That's so cool. Okay. Very (laughs) awesome. (laughs) What is the first song on the soundtrack to your life? Okay. And I, I have to preface this by saying ACDC is like my least favorite band, but the first song on the soundtrack of my life is Thunderstruck by ACDC. Okay. No explanation. You're not going to get an explanation for that one. We'll just leave it mysterious. Okay. (laughs) We'll take it. (laughs) Okay. Well, we love hearing romance origin stories. So can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Well, it's kind of interesting because it happened after I sold my first book. Because I know you're going to ask later about my first book, Dark Rapture. And as I was writing it, I wasn't really aware that I was writing a romance. I just thought I was writing this weird story with a vampire in it. And then after I discovered I had written a romance, then I thought, well, maybe I should start reading romances. So we have a fabulous, um, I live in Minneapolis, and we've got some amazing local authors like Tina Cron and Kathleen Eagle. So I started going through all those historical romances and that got me hooked excellent that's that's interesting i don't think we've had the answer of well i, well, I wrote a romance first and then i started reading I know. yeah that's so <laughs> cool weird. it's weird <laughs> well something on your website that we'd love to hear you elaborate on is where you share that instead of writing what you know that you prefer to write what you'd love to know um love to know and do can you tell us more about this well what I know is kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like, I mean, I live in Minnesota and I feel like, well, that's one of the most boring states out of there. Although if you read my stuff, most of my stuff is set in either Minnesota or France. But if I wrote what I know, everything would be snow and cats and <laughs> it's not very interesting for a romance. So I like to, I love doing research. So, you know, I'm always doing the action adventure online, looking up all the weird stuff, like different kind of martial arts or how to drive fast cars or, you know, what's the best kind of weapons to use. So that interests me, stuff that I would love to learn about. So that's what I do. 
Okay. Yeah, well, according well, to what we could see online, your debut romance was Dark Rapture in 1997, and it was published by Zebra Publishing. What was your journey to becoming published like? Well, a lot of my author friends hate this, but I sold the first book I wrote. But that doesn't mean I've never been rejected. I've been rejected so many times since then. But I started writing right after my son was born. And okay, so if I tell the story, again, this will probably date me, but I had a... a a regular typewriter, you know, <laughs> the old typewriters. And I just had an idea for a story. So I started plunking away when I was home on maternity leave. I went through three typewriters, three garage sale typewriters in like two months. I think like the whatever that round coily thing is in them, that world on all of them. Finally, I got myself a little computer and I started clicking away. Um, worked on it for a couple of years, just, you know, after work. Weird, but again, I did not know I was writing a romance. I just thought I was writing some horror, mystery, vampire, time travel, ghost, weird thing. It literally had everything in it. So when I finished it, printed it up, it was 210,000 words. Oh, my so, God. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> For the reader's information, the, like the average single title book on the shelves nowadays is 90 to 100,000 words. So, but I over double that. Yeah, I had no clue. I just printed the whole thing up, put it in a huge box. Figured Zebra would be the because I had like done a little research. I had my top list of five publishers. Sent it to Zebra. A couple weeks later, they wrote back saying, "Could you please send us a synopsis?" (laughs) Because I had no clue, nothing, no clue. Didn't know how to write a synopsis, so I just wrote down like chapter one. This is what goes on. Chapter two. This is what happens. It was, it was terrible. Sent that off. Um, about six months later, they called and offered to buy my book. And I was just like, somebody wants to pay me money to write a story for them. This is so cool. It was like the coolest thing. So that was pretty cool. And that was in 93. And the book was not published till 97. It was, it was originally supposed to be published in 1995. Back then, Vampire Romance... There's probably like less than a dozen a year, you know. Um, so in 1995, they're like, uh, vampires are kind of dead. We're not going to publish it. So my editor, who loved it, she's like, I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to stand behind this. We'll see if we can get it published. So finally, they did put it out four years after they bought it, which was weird. Um, and at the time, again, vampire romances, I think that year, I used to do a chart. I used to keep track of how many vampire Uh, romances were published every year and I think there was less than a dozen that year and then like early 2000s it went up to like hundreds every month it was just insane but so so that was cool it was a long journey but it was kind of interesting too and like about two months before the book came out and I was trying to figure out how to do marketing and stuff. I, I emailed my editor and I'm like, so what's going to be on the spine? Is it going to say like horror? Where are people going to find this in the bookstore? And she wrote back and she's like, you wrote a romance. It's going to be in the romance section. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. That makes sense. There is romance in there. So, so yeah, that's when I discovered I was a romance author. Okay, so tell us about you as a reader before. Like, were you reading horror and... Like, what, what did Michelle Hoff read before she began writing Dark Rapture? You know, I like I like a lot of nonfiction, like um, natural history and science and stuff like that. Okay. 
And like historical stuff too, um, like Judith Merkel Riley, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She does amazing historical kind of with a little touch of magic and fantasy. Um, but the thing that got me started on vampires at the time, there was a remake on TV of Dark Shadows. Um, it starred Ben Cross. I think that's who it was. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a vampire portrayed as romantic and gave me ideas. So that's how I got started on vampires. And and actually, and at the time, I had, had never read Anne Rice. And I'd say like halfway through my story, I was in the library one day and I saw the vampire Lestat. And I'm like, oh, okay, that looks kind of interesting. I'll pick it up. And it's like, okay, wow, <laughs> you know. This woman is like writing everything I love. So yeah, that's really cool. How I discovered her after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was the what was the editing process like back then? Because I mean, it, it was probably all through mail that the communication was done. I know. Well, yeah, it was. It just makes it sound so old and ancient, but <laughs> I mean, they used to literally send you know postcards and letters, and that was like the beginning of the email. I think I remember my editor emailed me me emailing me but yeah the editing process i think the first few books with zebra were actually mailing them back and forth oh my gosh i can't imagine how expensive that was <laughs> <laughs> but after by probably book three or four they got to the um but i don't think we were matched up like you can send word nowadays and anybody can read it i think there were still issues like editing you know computer files I don't know. I, I don't even want to think about it because it does really make me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is like it really wasn't that long ago. At the mm -hmm. same time, not really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can you expand a little more about uh, what what did the world of romance publishing look like at the time that you were entering it, especially from your unique perspective of of not trying to get into that that genre? I feel like romance has changed. So much. I mean, after I sold this, I discovered Romance Writers of America. So I learned that there were actually other authors in Minneapolis area, you know, that actually wrote romance. And so I didn't have to do it all on my own. But, you know, back then, you would go in the bookstores and all the, there'd be like a dozen major romance names and you would know them all and they would all be on the New York Times bestseller list and there'd be just a few newbies, you know, that get their books out. And nowadays, what is it like a hundred new people or, you know, there's just, there's just so much to pick from nowadays, you know, just romance has exploded. It's just amazing. And like the vampire, the whole paranormal romance, Dark Rapture came out right before it really exploded. You know, like Christine Feehan and Cheryl and Kenyon, they came out afterwards and it's like nobody really looked at vampires before. So it was kind of interesting how it, all the vampires just came out of their coffins. Yeah. <laughs> well, and looking at your, I know, yeah. <laughs> like looking at your, like when you began writing and then like really the last like, like Harlequin paranormal we got, like it feels like from the outside looking in that you started right before paranormal had its moment and you were there through like its entire wave as yeah. a writer of it. Did you all feel that the paranormal moment was coming to a close? Like when Nocturne ended, did you all see that coming? Uh, I feel like it, I did just because 
I mean, like I said, there was so we went from, you know, you would get like a dozen vampire paranormal romances a year. And when it kind of exploded, what, three, four, five years ago and kind of dribbled off, there was hundreds a month of everything, you know, vampires, werewolves, witches, any kind of creature you can think of. There's so much. And we could feel that the market was getting saturated. And I mean, just to look at the nocturne sales and stuff, you could see that you could just kind of tell looking at the market that, and you had the feeling that readers were just getting maybe overwhelmed. I don't know. Okay. If that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in July of 2005, you released Once a Thief, which was part of Silhouette's bombshell line. So how did writing for that line come to be for you? Actually, the editor, I was with Harlequin with Luna at the time with Mary Teresa Hussey, amazing editor. And she's like, oh, I think he would be really good for the bombshell line. I'm just going to send you to an editor who does that. And if you have a story idea, you know, send it in. So. <laughs> I just have to say, Michelle, I, Aaron, I think it's safe for us to say, like, we have not had anybody else say that something like that happened to them. That's incredible. <laughs> well, you look back, like at the time, you're just like, okay, that's cool. And then you can look back and be like, oh, yeah, I was really lucky, you know, unfortunate. But my editor knew, like, I'm an action adventure freak. Like, yeah. if I'm writing a romance, the first concern is what's the action? What's going on? And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I gotta remember, put the romance in it. So for me, the bombshells were like, okay, that's my line. So, you know, (laughs) and I'm really sad. I only got to write three bombshells. I was so sad when that line ended because, and here I have a theory. So I feel like readers saw this bombshell line shelved by the other Harlequin series and lines in the stores, and they expected it to be romance. And the way that we were, it was presented to the authors is these are action adventure stories with romance. Romance was not the key. So we got to go wild with the action and, you know, and then insert that romance or, or, you know, they all had romances in them, but that didn't have to be the most important thing like your regular romances. So I think that freaked out readers a little bit. And I think that was why it didn't last too long. Okay. That makes sense. It's a bummer. That was a really good line. I loved it. Yeah, it, it you know it feels like um, well at least with with a uh, an intrigue I read recently that maybe that uh, you know I know it was Silhouette that put out um, bombshells, but um, those kind of stories sort of got funneled um, to to the intrigue, and it's interesting that intrigue is a very very popular line. Uh, yeah, and, and they're kind of that same that same vein, uh, if you will, as a as a bombshell. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, well, having written for the intrigues, I, I, I feel like, well, intrigues are, you know, that it was, I was told they're procedural, you know, and so that's what you focus on there. But first and foremost, what is a romance in, in the intrigue? But they do, they do get a lot of, you know, really good of uh, the police and high action and stuff like that. And the bombshells are so much longer than intrigue, I feel like. I can't remember how long they were. I don't know. All I know is the nocturnes were like 85,000 words, which to me was like a single title compared to some of the lines in Harlequin that are only 50. But it was nice because then you have all that room to add secondary characters and, you know, subplots and worlds. That's how I created my world. So I really appreciated that extra word count. Well, can you share with us about your journey to becoming published with Harlequin? 
Well, that was another kind of um, fortunate event. I had been writing for Zebra and I wrote six books for Zebra and then it just didn't sell to them anymore. I, I don't know if I just didn't have ideas or what. So I had a idea for this weird fantasy story with like female centric woman who doesn't know she's an angel walking around in medieval France. So I just, the way I write, I just, if I, if I'm not contracted, I'm just writing a story, something that makes me happy. So I got to the end of the story and um, I saw a post online from Mary Teresa Hasse and it's like, we're starting this new line um, looking for female centric fantasy stories. I was like, oh my God, I, I think they made that line just for me. <laughs> so I, I wrote, I, I didn't know anybody at Harlequin, but I wrote this letter to her and I'm like, okay, here's my story. And you guys made this line just for me. <laughs> and it's all done. I sent her the whole story and she must have, and she got back to me like within two weeks and she's like, we need three books. And I, so I was like, okay. <laughs> it, was a, it was a weird, like being in the right time at the right place kind of thing, I think. Very cool. I, lo I love Luna. That was fun writing that those stories. That's great. Well, if you had to pick just like one of your nocturnes as a Michelle Hoff entry point category paranormal, which one would you pick? Um, well, one that if so, like I write in a world, I call it beautiful creatures. And I try very hard not to you, you have to read the books in a specific order. I want to, you, any reader can jump in with any book. There's maybe a handful of stories where it's a follow-up. Usually it's a, a novella and you should, should read a, a single title before that novella to get what's going on. But I would say, and this was my most popular one, Her Vampire Husband. Okay. And just because it kind of introduces you to the vampires and the werewolves and to two different families and it's got so many generations spreading out from that story where you can just like, if you like this character, you can go on and read that their story. Uh, if you like this guy's grandchild, you can go and read his story. And it just kind of introduces to the whole world, even though it wasn't the first one. Okay. Now you also, like, you all would also do these cravings, like these nocturne novellas. Yeah. How... Would those, would the editor, would that be like an editor idea or was that ever you all as the author? Like, hey, we want to do a novella to kind of follow up this story. No, the cravings, they had the bites line, nocturne bites and nocturne cravings. Did they come out with two of those a month? I can't remember. But they were basically do what you want. And so I just told my editor I'll do a story for my world. So usually it was like a follow-up story to a couple that I liked or maybe I wanted to explore a secondary character or something like that. That is so cool. I feel like we don't really get that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> when I'm writing, especially in my world, it's like you have all these secondary characters and I get a lot of my next story ideas because it's like, oh my God, I love this secondary character. I got to know what's going on. Or like, especially I fall in love with villains so I have to try to redeem them in their own story. And and yeah, I, I think I had a I had a really great editor for Nocturne and a lot of my books, most of my books were sold blind. So you don't have to hand a proposal in when you sell. You just, they're like, send a proposal in when you get to it. So you can, so you don't have to have a story pre-approved before they buy from you. So I could just like whatever 
secondary character I was feeling about at the time pick up for a cravings or bite story. Do you have a specific paranormal creature you prefer writing? You know, it's weird because I used to say I would never write werewolves because I just have no interest in werewolves because they're just big and doofy and hairy. <laughs> now I think they're my favorite. Uh, really? Why? Just, just the ones that I've written, they're just, they turn out to be so lovable for some reason. I don't know. Like vampires, you know, they're sexy and they're mysterious, but they have a little bit of a coldness to them. And I don't know why. I mean, you can make them as warm as you want, but something about a werewolf that just seems lovable to me. <laughs> that sounds really weird. <laughs> Your witch love stories. Up with their puppies. I know, right? <laughs> Your witch stories, like, can you talk about, can just, I, 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 you're, you're our, honestly, you're our first Nocturne author. So this is just really fascinating. So what did the, was, you, you mentioned research earlier, but like, was there research that you would do for each of the different creatures that you were writing? I mean, like, I just think of like an American witch in Paris, which I think is just fantastic. But like, I, and I'd love to hear you speak more about writing like witches specifically but was there any research that you were doing because I feel like when you write a creature you really write a creature that like you just feel so part of that world it feels so real oh now I feel so good thank you (laughs) and um now I'll disappoint you because (laughs) uh I don't do a lot of okay well this is the thing so like I've read Dracula and that's like my vampire bible so All my vampires are going to be based on Dracula, but with whatever I want them to be. You know, I'm going to add my my two cents. Um, When it gets to werewolves, I might go online and just read a little bit, you know, about them. But then it's like, no, this is the way I want them to be. Same with witches. I mean, I've been fascinated with witches since middle school. And I found that book on historical witches in the library that I couldn't believe they had sitting in the library for kids my age. Oh, how they used to burn witches and stuff. And it's like, oh my God, this is so interesting. So, you know, just using stuff from that you picked up over the years and then just adding what you want them to be like. That's how I do it. We're seeing paranormal, I think, gradually make a resurgence. I, I feel like it didn't really go anywhere. I mean, there are authors, like you mentioned, Christine Feehan. She's always been around, right? Like, I, I feel like it's always had a presence, but not like it did once upon a time. So for any aspiring writers that are listening who are writing paranormal, what advice would you give to them? Oh, well, write what you enjoy. You know, it's always wise to keep an eye on the market and um, know what's going on in the romance world. You know, you always hear you should write to the market so you can sell, but I like to write what I want to read. And, you know, if vampires aren't selling at the moment, that doesn't mean you can't write them. Um, If you want to be selling, yeah, you might have to set your vampires aside for a while and do something else, but don't bury them in the coffin. I mean, keep writing them, keep working with them, because I feel like paranormal is like, again, it's like the vampire. You can stuff them in the coffin, but they're going to keep rising. You know, (laughs) you can't get rid of them. (laughs) I mean, I feel like the market got so saturated. And now when I when I look at the bookshelves in the stores, it's like, it's really hard to find a paranormal romance. Like maybe there's a couple of them, 
I don't know if it's that way for you guys. I mean, yeah. So I feel like something's got to happen again because it was so popular, you know, and like historicals for a while that you couldn't find historicals and it was like all, I don't know, Westerns or everything rises and falls, you know, so it's probably due to come back really soon. When Nocturne came to a close, I think of it like the Kamani line. For some authors, you just have not seen them at all since that line ended. When Nocturne came to an end, or even with Bombshell, when that line came to an end, was that the end of writing for a lot of your peers, for a lot of other authors? I I think it just depends on how flexible you are. Like I have always, I mean, I've written mostly paranormal, but I've always written basically everything. I mean, you, you have know. historicals. <laughs> like you have right. Everything. I write historicals, contemporary, I've tried a little erotica, so... As much as sad as I was to see the line close, you know, I was there when Bombshell closed too. So I've been there, done that. So, you know, I jumped into intrigue. Um, but maybe some authors who paranormal is their thing, you know, I can't really speak for the other authors, but yeah, I can see where some authors kind of disappeared. I mean, like, I feel like I have disappeared <laughs> after my intrigue. So, I'm coming back this December, so everybody knows. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Oh, good. Well, that, that yeah. got us. I mean, our you work for a place like Harlequin, and you do series. You you just have to. I mean, series close, you know, but new series open. And if you enjoy writing for the series stuff, you kind of learn to you know take your punches and pull yourself back up and try something new. Yeah. So, and I, and I like that because it kind of exercises the whole writing muscle, you know, makes you do other things. Well, you just mentioned it. So uh, we got two Harlequin intrigues from you in 2019. And you said we were expecting another one. Can you share with us anything about it? Okay. So I did two intrigues and the next one is not with intrigue. <laughs> okay. Um, it's actually from Mills and Boone, their true love line. Okay. Is- oh my gosh. It's a it's romance. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so this is another new thing for Michelle exercising a writing muscle because the chick who likes action adventure is now going to be writing for one of the most emotional lines ever. Oh, <laughs> I, love it. I, I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was not expecting this and I'm so excited. We're so excited. Okay. How did this happen, Michelle? How did this happen? Well, I, um, you know, I wrote for Intrigue and I had a couple years there. Well, I think most readers know this. I put it on my website. Um, in 2018, my husband passed away. So I had the two books from Intrigue come out after that. And it was just sort of like a pause in my life and for writing and stuff. And so the past year, I've gotten back into it. And when I was with Intrigue, I kind of realized that that was not really the line for me because I'm not quite that procedural, you know? So, and the stories that I started working on, I went and looked online at at Harlequin. It's like, oh my gosh, I think I'm writing a Harlequin romance. (laughs) So, and, and the, okay, this is another weird thing. Every time I sell books, it's really weird. So I'm not currently agented and I didn't really know anybody at Harlequin because it's, like I said, it's been a couple of years. So I just went in, online to the uh, submittable.com, which Harlequin has. I don't know if you guys know about that. And I uploaded a proposal and I was like, 
I'm writing this as Michelle Renee. You might know me as Michelle Hoff. I've written for you guys a little bit. <laughs> I've written a few books for you guys in the past. I didn't know if I could like pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, I want to send you a book. That just sounded too forward, you know? <laughs> so I just submitted it the way most readers would and they got back to me. So, so it's, really, it's been fun because this first book is set in Paris, which is like one of my comfort zones. And when I submitted it, I was writing about people in their 50s. And when I submitted it, I thought, I cannot put the age on there because they will not buy this. Nobody wants to read about 50-year-olds. So I took out all references to age. And when I spoke to the editor, when they called, um, they were like, you know, we want to buy this and everybody's happy. And then I'm like, so what do you think if they were older? And she's like, yeah, that part where you said they were married 30 years, we kind of thought they were a little older. <laughs> I forgot to take that part out. And she's like, we are so excited to have an older hero and heroine. So oh that was my a good Yay! Get to I know. Keep it. I know. I'm so happy. And it's like, it's not, it's not like 50 is not old. No. You know? Yeah. And when I'm writing this, I'm like, this feels like anybody can read this. You know, you're 20 or 30. I'm, it's not like a bunch of old grand people sitting on their step rock, you know, on their rockers. <laughs> so this will appeal to any age, but it was nice to be able to work with um, people that, you know, had been married for a longer time. They're both widows, a hero and the heroine. And just to kind of deal with that kind of emotional experience in the story. So it was great. Very excited that they were happy about that. Well, let's get into some of our round out questions. Are you ready? Go for it. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? So when I think about that, I feel like that's something that you have to be so set on. And I don't feel like I am set on anything. Like in my life, I don't want to get, I want to always be learning, always be evolving. So if I said I was going to, this is the one thing, I don't want to be that way. I want to always progress listen to people, learn new things. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. (laughs) I have no hills. I have no hills. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's a very insightful answer. What is one film or television show you will never stop watching? Okay, I have to give you three. So we've already mentioned Practical Magic, uh, The Italian Job, which is why I drive a Mini Cooper to this day, Uh, Action Adventure at its best, and Dangerous Liaisons. If I don't watch that, like, three times a year since it came out. I mean, come on. It's like <laughs> the best movie ever. All now, of this feels very on brand, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to ask, though, Michael Caine or Mark Wahlberg, Italian job? Oh, Mark Wahlberg. He's just a sweetie in anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love him. Yes. So you decide you want takeout for dinner. Where are you ordering from and what's your order? So, and this is going to be a weird answer, too, but... um do you guys know about crumble cookies yes I think i've heard of that yeah <laughs> we just got one it's like five miles away from me and i know it's not supper but <laughs> if i'm gonna have something delivered to my house it's gonna be a box of crumble cookies <laughs> crumble cookies yeah <laughs> oh my god they're so good they come warm i mean you can't ask for anything better so that's what i'm eating for supper that's perfect. Oh, you know, you know what? I think my sister brought a box of those to our last gathering that we it had. It comes in that pink they, box. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I, I, I ate a quarter of one, and I think I had enough sugar for a week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, 
Each one is supposedly like four or five servings. And I will admit this. I eat the whole thing at once. So, you know, I don't care. I <laughs> That's don't fine. Care. That's fine. That's fine. Yes. There's no judgment. <laughs> yeah. What is one of the toughest pieces of advice you were ever you've ever received? Um, so like the whole romance industry, I feel is tough when you're in it, just learning about it. It's a tough industry. It's like the entertainment industry. It's tough. But I have this one time, and I wouldn't say it's a tough piece of advice, but it was like a kind of an eye-opening piece. And I got it from Deb Dixon, which you probably know who that is. Um, she invited me to write. It was right after they had Bell Books. They had started this. And she wanted me to write in one of their um, anthologies. And I forget the series, but it was set in Georgia. It was like a sweet tea kind of setting. Um, and I was like, oh... I was so honored that Deb Dixon asked me to write something for her. But at the same time, I was like, Georgia, I feel like it was Georgia. I'm not positive, but it was down in the South. And I'm like, I don't think I can do that. And I just don't think that the readers would believe me if I did it. You know, so I wrote back to her. I told her that she wrote back to me this simple little answer. She's like, Michelle, you're a writer. You can do whatever you want to do. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess I can. I can do a little research. I can figure this out. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, just like a thump on the on the skull through email. You know, it's like, yeah, you can do it if you try. So that was a good piece of advice. Well, you are close to having a hundred novels published, and you've written everything from paranormal romance to contemporary to action adventure to erotica to historicals. Knowing what you know now. What would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? I feel like I'm following, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a person that ever sets goals or anything. So I feel like I'm just doing what I should be doing. Uh, I'm happy doing it. Um, if I could go back to the beginning, I'd say if you get any offers or if something sounds odd, just explore everything because you never know what's going to happen. So be open to everything. Well, lastly, where can everyone follow you online? I have my website, michellehoff.com. And I apologize to everybody because it's WordPress. And I just can't say anything about WordPress that I really like. <laughs> every time I go on there, it, I think it's been since last year since I updated my site. And every time I go there, I forgot my password. I can't figure out how to get in. So I apologize to people. I, I just don't know. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. I have a Pinterest page. Um, if you go to Pinterest, it's the beginning of my email, Toast Fairy, T-O-A-S-T, Fairy spelled F-A-E-R-Y. And if you, a lot of readers like images. So for every story I've ever written, I have a Pinterest board with uh, pictures of the hero and heroine, all the inspirational stuff that went into that story. So you can find that all there. That's my two places. And Instagram. I'm on Instagram under Michelle Hoff. Okay. Well, we are going to have all of that listed below. So the next book, The True Love Romance, is that a 2022 release or is it an early 2023? It it comes out in the UK beginning of December. It's called, we just changed the title, Cinderella's Second Chance in Paris. Oh my and gosh. I think in the US, maybe at the end of December or beginning of January. I'm not really sure how that works. Okay. Okay. Well, we are going to have links to all the places you all can keep up with Michelle Hoff, as well as where you can get her books. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. This has truly been 
an honor and just incredible. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I had fun. And listeners, again, make sure you check the show notes and Aaron and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Thank you for listening. 